With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the to... Oscar goes to... Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your... I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me... Mr. Welcome to the next best picture podcast. And the Oscar goes to Nomadland. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 257 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording is 11.03 a.m. on August 22nd, 2021. Here to join me today for this episode, I have Bianca Gardner. Hello, it's me, B. Dan Bear. Good morning, everybody. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. What an exciting episode we have for all of you today. One week before we celebrate our five-year anniversary episode, which is a very, very big milestone for all of us over here at Next Best Picture, celebrating half a decade of existence. This week, what we're going to do is we are going to unveil to you all our first official Oscar predictions for the 2021-2022 award season. Something that we've been holding off on for quite a bit as we don't really like doing year in advance predictions. We usually like to unveil these as we get closer to the fall film festivals and narratives start to form. And that's where we are. We are now two weeks away from the launch of Venice Telluride with TIFF to come soon after and NYFF after that it's going to be one hell of a september everyone before we get into all of that including the trailer for the hand of god let's see what everyone was watching this week bianca starting off with you yeah um well i watched reminiscence which we reviewed recently um you can obviously check that out and hear my thoughts on that and i also this morning watched uh, shiver baby which i really really loved and it was just a really yeah, funny. Yeah. I, <laughs> it was really funny, uh, but like very depressing in lots of ways. <laughs> like it was just a really interesting movie, and I love the fact that it all sort of takes place in one sort of confined space, and that um, the music, the build up of it, and the the acting, and uh, just everything about it was so like. It was just really, really good. Like, in cons- considering like its runtime, everything, like, not a single second was wasted. So, I'm really liking these movies recently that I've seen where they've like really sort of used their shortish runtimes to actually tell a really good story and focus on building character. I I've also been watching the Netflix series Sweet Tooth, which is oh kind of cute. I liked it. Uh, I'm in. Intri- 
interested to see where they go with that so that was just a little something fun to watch in well it's you know something fun to watch in the evening after coming back from work and uh it's got animals and kids and it's kind of fun but also slightly depressing but in a good way so yeah that's just what i've been <laughs> watching this this week so uh so much i need to catch up on but um hopefully i'll have time soon all righty passing it over next to josh parm so this week was actually um pretty busy i got to catch up with a lot of stuff um what, what week for you is not a busy week that's what i want to know <laughs> <laughs> you watch more movies than almost anyone i know well this was a particularly busy week for like newer releases i would say fair okay uh i did get to see reminiscence where there is a podcast review of it i like that movie a lot more than i expected to i would recommend it for sure yeah the very uh negative reviews i'm seeing for this uh i think it's like in the 30s on Rotten Tomatoes. I, I expected it to be, like, middling, but I didn't expect the reviews to be low. Yeah, uh, we seem to be um, in the minority in terms of rather positive or more positive opinion on that movie, but I would recommend it. I liked it. Uh, I also finally caught up with Coda. Finally oh. saw it. And, you know, this is a movie that definitely very conventional storytelling. You know exactly where it's going every step of the way, but it makes it work. It's very much a crowd pleaser. I enjoyed it. Very emotional moments in it. Great performances. Like, totally would recommend it. It's not going to break the mold with its storytelling, but still very, very watchable um, indeed. Uh, I also saw The Night House. I caught up with that film, too. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta be honest, though. I was a little underwhelmed with The Night House. Uh, I wanted to love it. I, I think the problem that I have is it felt like its story was sort of half-baked a little bit, and it had a lot of, like, interesting concepts and ideas but didn't really pull them together in a cohesive way, and that was kind of frustrating but there's some very impressive sequences in it, and Rebecca Hall is great. I, I think she's amazing and deserves all praise that she can get. So mm -hmm. I was a little bit more mixed on it, but I, I do find some value in that movie overall. Cool. And uh, the last one that I will mention <laughs> is uh, I also saw Flag Day. Oh, God. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, boy. Um. Yeah, this is a it's not a good movie. It really isn't. And I get that melodrama is not for everyone. And sometimes it does get a bad rap, but it can be done pretty poorly. And I would say that is the case here. It. Oh, man, there's just some sequences in this movie where people are just shouting at each other. And it's like so bad to watch. And the writing is really poor. And the, the way that it shot, too, I hated oh, the way that this movie was I shot. I thought I hated old cinematography. Mm -hmm. That looks like Citizen Kane compared to this. Oh, yeah. it's, it's Oh, God, it was bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, Sean Penn is giving a decent performance, but I kind of feel like he could be half asleep and give a decent performance. Like, that's not really asking that much of him. So it's... I I did not care for the movie at all. And what about like all of those uh, one scene cameos from all these like big stars that are like never seen again in the film? It was so distracting. Oh, I can't. Yeah, I guess he called in a lot of favors from people, I I, I guess. Um, yeah, not good. Wouldn't recommend it. You can skip that one. Dan Bear. I 
Saw Reminiscence, which you can hear my thoughts on our podcast review of that. But Spoiler alert for those that haven't caught on to it. It was the same four <laughs> people that are on here today that were on that podcast review. Long story short, I liked it. It's not a bad movie. Go see it. Um, and I, like Josh, saw Flag Day. And I think I texted Matt right afterwards saying, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> <laughs> because it just, like, oh, Sean Penn, please stick to acting. Like, I, I get a lot of well i don't get what he was going for but i get why he did a lot of things in this movie the way he did he's an actor he believes in the power of the face and close-ups and blah 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 but oh my god this movie is exhausting (laughs) (laughs) and just like for not much payoff yeah other than like the big climactic scene i think is easily the best moment in the movie and is probably the only moment where it's actively good other than just sort of fine the cameos from (laughs) everybody were (laughs) took me right out of the movie there's one in the first like 20 seconds and you just hear the person's voice and you say to yourself that can't be no yes is it (laughs) that was literally my reaction like wait is that what? Yeah, the same thing. <laughs> like how? How can I? Stop in part of the marketing campaign, and then you realize, oh, because they're in it for maybe five seconds a piece. It was can I ask what Flag Day is even about? Or can I have a stab at trying to guess what it is? Is it about um, a day where they have to like make a flag and it's like some sort of Here, here's the funny part Bianca I don't think either one of us know why the film is called Flag Day oh it's uh, nothing to do with flags you know it, why it Matt is... it's, it's because Independence Day was taken that's why oh, I see. <laughs> and if you okay. watch the movie you will understand because it uh, makes no sense for it to be called Flag Day right. <laughs> given what the actual title is supposed to be about <laughs> so Oh, man. Yeah, that was an experience watching that movie. Um, I, I, too, saw Flag Day uh, this week. Everything that everyone said here, uh, poorly shot, directed, poorly written. I mean, the only saving grace for me were, at times, the Pens performances. But even then, I was like, wow, I, I, I don't know what Sean Penn is doing nowadays. I don't I don't get it. Oh, yeah. All right. I saw Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Oh, I also uh, saw that. I forgot to mention that. Not, yeah. Oh, OK. You forgot to you left out that little detail for the second week in a row. One of us has forgotten that we saw a Marvel movie when first talking about <laughs> the, we saw this past week. So I think that's all that can be said about Marvel's current. No, 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 not <laughs> not not entirely true, because honestly, I think that Shang-Chi is actually a better than average Marvel film. I think it's not necessarily near the top, but definitely somewhere between the top and the middle. Um, I, I I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. Yeah, the action sequences, I think, are the best part of that film, particularly the fight choreography. The, the fight choreography in this is really, really well done. Yeah. I agree, especially in the earlier scenes. I do think it goes a little overboard in the 
uh, third act with the CGI, and I think that's where uh, Destin Daniel Cretton like kind of bites off a little bit more than he can chew. But it's funny, it's entertaining, it introduces a new character in a whole new world with a lot of mystical elements that are very, very intriguing, and also this really compelling family drama at the center of it all that I found to be really, really, really just involving. Um, I, I was surprised by how much I was into uh, that emotional element of the story. I mean, Tony Leung. Well, I mean, enough said. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the secret weapon of this movie. It's him. Yeah, absolutely. He, sell, he sells all of that drama and he makes it totally worth watching. Uh, we'll have more thoughts on that in a couple of days uh, when we do our podcast review of it. I have a quick question. Something that is just like, I've just realized sort of looking at the trailers. I'm like, aren't they bracelets technically? <laughs> Instead of friendship bracelets, they're family bracelets. <laughs> but like, I mean, he wears them on his arm. That's a bracelet. A ring goes around your finger. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. No. <laughs> They're wrist rings, okay? Yeah. They're wrist rings. <laughs> they're men's rings. That's that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. They're men's rings. <laughs> We're going to have to call them the Mandarin. All right, from now no, on. No, no. <laughs> anyway. And oh, yeah. One other thing I just want to say, uh, just as an aside, even though our uh, MVP Film Community Awards for 2013 wrapped up last week. Uh, we're still doing internal voting on the MVP Film Awards, and I rewatched, uh, fittingly so, given our trailer discussion this week, uh, Paolo Sorrentino's The Great Beauty, which I highly urge uh, people to revisit if they get a chance uh, before they see The Hand of God, uh, because I just found it to be so exquisite and if you, like I said, if you, I've always known it was good, but it's like one of those things where I just like it's really starting to dawn on me that I think that he is going to be a big fixture, I think, this award season based on the trajectory of his career. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast as well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners, so if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talking about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, let's no, talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutia Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And shut I wonder who the gap can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Oh, my God. Go by the So the first thing I just want to start off by saying really quick here is that uh, the New York Film Festival announced their spotlight section this week. And the festival is taking place from September 24th to October 10th. The main lineup had already been announced. We talked about that on last week's show. But in addition to the 32 films that they had previously announced, this spotlight section has single-handedly, I think, given New York this year the overall best film festival lineup of all of the film festivals. I was already super impressed with the lineup. I was already sold. I didn't really need much more. But then all of a sudden they turn around and they add Bell, Come On, Come On, Dune, The French Dispatch, The Lost Daughter, Red Rocket, and a few others. And it's like, 
holy crap, I now get I, I now have friends hitting me up saying to me, Matt, I want to come to New York. Matt, I'm flying into New York and I'm just like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And that's not a knock against what was previously announced. Like I said before, I was pretty content overall. I was, you know, maybe slightly underwhelmed by some things that were missing, but then a lot of those films actually did end up here. So uh, in that regard, it feels like it is a combination of Cannes, Venice, TIFF, all like rolled up into one, like almost like a best of festival, if you will. And it's fitting that it's coming at the end of the month then in that case. Biggest thing, uh, biggest takeaway overall from this is Dune officially going to New York. I think now at this point going to Venice, TIFF, New York, there are a lot of people that are saying it's definitely not going to tell you ride, which I can understand. There's a part of me that thinks it's possible still, maybe as a secret screening. Uh, but at the, at the same time, it's all irrelevant. The, the the main point here, the main talking point is, other than The Power of the Dog, which is the only film that is going to all four of the major film festivals, Dune now, along with uh, Spencer and very, very few others, <laughs> is going to three of the four. I mean, that's got to signal at least to, you know, some people out there that are doubting this film's uh, award season chances that this film has something going for it. Well, I think it signals that Warner Brothers is confident in it and wants to back in it in a significant way. And I think probably given the testy relationship it might have with its director right now, probably wants to do as much as it can to keep him in good graces and not have another Nolan situation come up. You know what's another film that came from that studio that did this exact same thing? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Joker. So, make of that what you will. Yeah, but you know, Joker also had a billion dollars in the bank. That so. is true. No, I completely agree, and that's definitely not going to happen here. We know that. Do I think it's going to be a higher than average box office earner compared to other things that are playing out there right now? I, I still do. I still think it's going to do well, given the circumstances. I'm not expecting it to do pre-pandemic numbers by any means. And I think anyone that has that expectation placed upon it right now is completely delusional. Yeah, the, the box office question is still it, it's still a question mark. And it, we are, of course, in a very unique situation where the box office is not back to where it was before, as you said, Matt. And that I think that allows for certain kind of bending of traditional rules when it comes to successful movies in the Oscar game. But I I still remain slightly skeptical of this movie's performance overall. You know, the that remains to be seen how the season plays out. But I am not on the bandwagon quite yet of saying that this is going to be a major player, at least above the line. Well, that serves as a good segue into our conversation about the Oscars right now, unless if anybody else has any other comments on the NYFF lineup. Other than I can't fucking wait. <laughs> touche, touche. <laughs> All right, let's uh, talk Oscar predictions here. First of the season, we're going to have these officially posted on the website this week. We've had a lot of time to contemplate, to think about this stuff. I guess the first question I want to start off with, of course, of course, is... What are you all predicting that going to win Best Picture as of today? What is your early guess 
top of the season. I know for many of us last year, uh, a lot of us were thinking Mank or the trial of the Chicago Seven. Uh, some people said Nomadland, you know, so on paper, uh, these movies look like they had the goods to go all the way. And we saw how the race developed from there. So, Josh, uh, as of today, August 22nd, 2021, what do you have in the number one slot? Well, with the caveat being I am probably wrong because I usually am wrong this early and as most of us are. But what's funny is that you make up for it by being the only one that's usually right by the end. It's true. <laughs> I mean, you said it. I didn't. So, <laughs> Hey, I will give you your flowers. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, but as of right now, I'm just going with the placeholder and I'm going with the placeholder, ironically, that I had uh, probably around this time last year. Uh, which is I'm still going to go with West Side Story. I I grant that it's not like probably going to happen, but I just sort of feel like at this point you've got a big movie from Steven Spielberg. It's going to be around Christmas. I can imagine that that's a film people are going to see. It's going to have a really high profile. And a lot of the movies in the mix right now are kind of dour and dark. And I think sometimes if you've got that kind of collection, you want to try to find something that is maybe on the lighter scale and even though West Side Story does deal with some dark material you know the musical aspect of it I think is something people respond to rather favorably so it's a placeholder probably wrong but I'm just gonna go with that for right now Dan Bear I too am going with a bit of a placeholder um and it's based on the fact that I think this movie will either hit really really big or do absolutely nothing so it's my number one now but it could very easily by the time we see it just fall off completely but that is don't look up not a bad choice not a bad choice you know i was actually thinking about this because usually these last couple of years you know when we look at on paper what movies look like they have like the goods this early on netflix is usually at the forefront and I noticed these uh, last couple of years, I was always pr- predicting a Netflix film early on to be the Best Picture winner. So I did this with Roma in 2018, 2019, The Irishman, and then last year, uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7. So this year, I said, sorry, the power of the dog and don't look up. <laughs> Not going to happen this time. I refuse to fall for your very convincing ways. Yeah, I do think that Netflix still has trouble winning Best Picture, and they proved that last year when it should have been easily theirs to swoop in and take. Well, the problem with that was that uh, their two biggest high-profile films peaked early. Yeah, and that is, I think... They're going with a different strategy this year, they've said. Yeah, and I think that is the big difference with Don't Look Up, which I doubt will even be ready before December. Yeah. So, you know... Because that's how McKay rolls. Of course. And, you know, McKay has had with his last two films, The Big Short and Vice, uh, great Academy success. Uh, both films being nominated for uh, Best Picture, Best Director. He won adapted screenplay uh, for The Big Short. So, yeah, I, third time could be the charm for it to win Best Picture in this case and maybe even get McKay another screenplay Oscar. Who knows? Uh, but, I, I will freely admit that that is my number two right now. I have in the number one slot, and I'm sorry, call me crazy. 
You're going to call me crazy. You think I'm crazy. I mean, listen, you guys already know what I'm going to say. I actually think it could be Dune. Wait, I'm going to tell you why, though. I'm going to tell you why. Two. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Before you all come for me, I'm going to tell you why. Okay. All right, and just hear me out with this. First of all, big tech winner below the line. And you might be saying to yourself, okay, you know, fine, but we've seen other films win multiple tech awards before and then not go on to win Best Picture. Mad Max Fury Road being one of them, Gravity, there's a bunch. Totally fine, I get that. There's a part of me that thinks that after these last couple of years rewarding uh, movies that have made the Oscars more insular and really put forward this perception that they only reward small movies, artsy movies, or whatever it is, I feel like at a time where the theatrical experience is literally in danger of dying out, they will want to make a statement and go for a big film that showcases the power of going to the movies. And call it bullish, because right now we're seeing across the industry um, all of these interviews being given by all these filmmakers about how bullish they are about their movies being seen in theaters, no links being given for press to review their movies, all this shit. I think it speaks to the mentality that these people in the industry feel and they are going to vote with that in mind. I I, I just I, I, I feel that it's going to be a statement. Yeah, I mean, the only well, I mean, I'm not going to say the only pushback because I have multiple pushbacks to that. But the main one that I think I would bring <laughs> up right now, Matt, is just I I find that mentality kind of difficult to ration with a movie that is also going to be on HBO Max at the same time. And that, it, and that Warner Brothers has said they're not budging on that. So, yes, it's a movie that is going to be celebrated for the big screen theatrical experience, but it is is not exclusively going to be viewed in that format. And I am going to guess that the vast majority of the people who are going to see this movie are probably going to watch it streaming at home. And if anything, I feel like West Side Story would have more of a chance to bring in like a, a, a bigger audience. Well, it's it's a bit more accessible than... But there are numerous problems with West Side Story that I think Dune doesn't really have to deal with. Not yet. Yeah, true. At Not least. yet. Mm, mm. I, yeah. I, I do feel like there will be a controversy that will come from Dune at yeah. some point. Oh, it's already Prob- like... Yeah. Up. Yeah, it's already sort of there. The movie just needs to come out first before those think pieces fly. Uh, Johnny Sobzak, who is uh, probably the biggest... Dune supporter I, I've seen online pointed something out uh, to me earlier today saying that uh, every Best Picture winner since 2007 has had its premiere at either Cannes, Venice, Toronto, or Telluride. So all these late December release films without a festival push, um, it just looks less likely considering we're over a decade in with that trend right now, unless if you think that trend is going to break. Which trends do at a certain point, you know. Sure. It, it's only a trend until it doesn't happen. Right. You know. I just think you guys are very much underestimating this movie. <laughs> I Look, it's my number two right now. And that is kind of based on the fact that I I really can't see it missing too many below the not line nominations. And it's going to be a long journey for this movie. Yeah. October release and all. Yeah, that's true. But like it is poised to really dominate the cultural conversation, I think, for a while. I mean, it would be great. I think it's, you know, I can't remember the last time that a sort of science fiction sort of 
film won Best Picture? I mean, does anyone know off the top of their heads? You probably have to go back as far as, I mean, even to get fantasy, you have to go back to Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Right. Which is a very unique situation for that movie. Yeah, correct. Like, like my skepticism of Dune comes from the material, you know, like people have to be on board with this story in the first place. And I wonder about that. And I wonder about how the reception of it is generally going to be like, it could be a hit. I'm not completely dismissing it, but I am extremely skeptical just given the material. And also just given, as we said, really big scale science fiction movies tend to struggle to find audiences and this kind of recognition in the first place. So, and and especially given the track record of Villeneuve, who, yes, he had a big hit with Arrival, but everything else has been rather spotty with the Academy. Like, I just don't think that it's a slam dunk for that movie right now. I do have Don't Look Up at number two, as I mentioned before, but uh, The Power of the Dog going to all four of the major film festivals and being the only film to do that, I have that at number three uh, because... Historically speaking, whenever a film does that sort of thing, especially in recent years with Roma, Marriage Story, Nomadland, you really do have to take notice and take that extremely seriously. So I would have that at at minimum in your top five predictions if you don't already. Yeah, seems like it's going to be the one that Netflix is going to put most of their power behind, which is good. They should be more selective. I think that was one of the thing that, things that doomed them yeah. last year. The thing that holds me back on that, I'm putting it very high up in my predictions, though, honestly, is everything that I've heard about the source material says it's very dark and depressing. And Right. That's what stopped me, too. Having Jane Campion direct it, it means it will probably be on the more artsy, critics love it, audiences don't sort of spectrum. I'm with you on that. Absolutely. Does anyone have one, two, none of Ridley Scott's films in their top 10 right now? I don't have either. Yeah, I don't have either. Interesting. If we're looking at uh, previous film festivals such as Sundance here, uh, does anyone have Mass, Coda, or Flea? I have all three of them. (laughs) I do too. I don't have Mm. Mass. But Um, my Flea right now is at number two. 10 like it is very low down i I, I, that movie particularly i think has a lot of obstacles to overcome that documentary has never been nominated in best picture a non-disney or pixar animated movie has never been nominated for best picture it has a lot working against it maybe my opinion will change after i've seen it because seemingly everyone who's seen it has just gone wild for it but I, I I worry about it, even though Neon is clearly mounting a pretty damn good campaign for it. I mean, based on their lineup and what they have uh, this year, I actually think, and it's so weird to say this for an animated documentary international film, I actually think it is their best shot at getting a nomination this year for Best Picture. I could see it. You know, there's a lot of passion around that one, too. And I agree that's why I have it at number 10. I think that it might just barely kind of cross the finish line, given all the obstacles it has to overcome, as you said, Dan. But I do think that the passion is there. And this being a straight 10 year is the best scenario for it Mm. to get into a Best Picture lineup. Yeah. Moving over to 
focus features for a second here. Uh, how are we feeling about Belfast? Because that's clearly, I think, going to be their major push this year. And it's hard for me to leave it off. But at the same time, I am a little nervous about it being uh, Kenneth Branagh, who's got a bit of a spotty track track record when it comes to not even making Academy friendly films, but just like quality films in general yeah look artemis foul is not his fault oh gosh let's let's Mm. take and also too on top of that hold on one other thing i also gotta add too it's gonna have inevitable comparisons to multiple other films mainly being roma in the past because it's a movie based on his childhood it's shot in black and white and you've got paulo sorrentino doing something similar with the hand of god (laughs) Yeah, look, I am close to being all in on this. Um, It's in my top three, four. um, And I just think that when you look at it on paper, I think a historical romantic drama about a director's childhood shot in black and white with two very hot up and coming young actors or young ish actors and Judi Dench. That is a lot of very positive marks against it on paper to the point that I just can't argue with it being high up on the ballot right now. It just almost feels like a parody, like of a, <laughs> <laughs> of an Oscar film, you know? And then yeah. as far as like big films that we uh, haven't seen trailers for, or, um, you know, where maybe a little just shaky on it for other reasons. Uh, we've got nightmare alley, we got uh, Cyrano, and we also have, um, at, well, we already mentioned um, House of Gucci uh, before. Soggy Bottom from Paul Thomas Anderson. We don't know if that's the official title as of yet. But there are these other late December releases that, you know, until we get a trailer or two, you know, to kind of get an idea of its quality, these films not going to the festivals. It it does put up a very big question mark uh, in in that regard. And so we don't know uh, where they'll land. And then you have stuff like King Richard, The Humans, movies that are going to uh, probably uh, be at the, well, King Richard's case, probably going to tell you right. The Humans we know is going to TIFF, but... A little less certain on those in terms of uh, Best Picture prospects, but at the same time, they have other elements going for them that could put them up there. Yeah, I I think King Richard in particular is one that I'm keeping an eye out on. Obviously, I'm not predicting it to win Best Picture, but I kind of feel like people are sleeping on that one a little bit and thinking that it's just going to be Will Smith and that's it. But I think that that one has potential to be that movie this year that might get like kind of passed aside by the critics or maybe... Critics will be just like sort of lukewarm on it, but it could be a really big hit with audiences. And given Will Smith being so charming on the campaign trail that it could really do some damage and bring in a whole lot of other categories outside of him. One other thing I'll just uh, add, I, 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 I know people were like probably screaming when I said this a minute ago. Yes, I, I do believe that Flea is Neon's best chance. I am not disregarding Spencer. I am factoring in, though, that Jackie wasn't necessarily the Academy's cup of tea for a Best Picture nomination, and I don't know what that yet means for Spencer. However, as a lovely transition over to Best Actress, I think Kristen Stewart is the runaway frontrunner for all of us, for the most part right now, to win for Spencer. Oh, yeah. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Yeah, although I mentioned this in our group chat earlier, I'm finding best actors rather difficult to nail down right now because even though Kristen Stewart feels the most like a front runner that we should pick at the moment, it's still... I don't know if the Academy is still fully ready to do that yet. And it's unfair, obviously, but, you know, the aura of Twilight is still sort of around mm-hmm. her. And I just don't know if that's going to cross over into, like, a full-out win at this point. But I don't know who else to really pick either. It's like there's pros and cons for everybody in that category right now, and it's difficult to find even a placeholder. Yeah, I think that the one that most people are sort of defaulting to right now is lady gaga for house of gucci which also makes no sense to me yeah Um, i can't really get on board with that at this moment (laughs) like that is just not the type of movie that produces a best actress winning performance (laughs) and i don't get it and i think there's a lot of problems with Basically, everyone, the other placeholder is Jennifer Hudson in respect. Yeah, I'm not I don't I'm not seeing that happening because she'd have to be a sweeper because it's not getting nominated for Best Picture. Correct. Yeah. I'm just throwing it out there. What about Emma Stone for Cruella? Oh, no. No? No. No. Oh, I would love her to. That would just be like amazing if it happened. I think right now that I agree with what's being said about this category that it's extremely tough. I have my eye on Jodie Comer for the last duel, especially considering the box office performance of Free Guy recently. Uh, she just seems someone that's poised to make that transition from television to film in a major way and be welcomed into the industry with uh, a nomination here. Although we don't know category yeah, fraud heart, yeah. Heart <laughs> I think we also have to look out for Rachel Ziegler for uh, West Side Story because that is a, you know, traditional discovery. We're blown away by her because we don't know what to expect necessarily kind of find that uh, Oscars do like to sometimes celebrate. Um, But at the same time, I don't have her in my five. I just have her in my ten. I would look out for Jessica Chastain for the eyes of Tammy Faye only because that is a extremely transformative role for her uh and she's never done anything like that before where she fully disappears you know she's had accents and things like that but this is like a combination of accent work makeup physicality and there's a lot going on there so that's usually also academy uh catnip for voters and penelope cruz for parallel mothers um you know anytime she teams up with pedro it's always something to uh mm, take notice true, of true. oh yeah yeah I, I, she is definitely in my list uh same thing with chastain and 
and Rachel Ziegler. The one thing about this category that I am a little it's sort of a red flag for me at this moment is that a lot of the top contenders, I don't really think we are predicting like best picture successful. Yep. And that is a little upsetting for me at the moment. Yeah. It's very upsetting. The one that I, and I, I noticed this when I was entering my predictions on the site earlier this morning. Um, no one else besides me <laughs> has Amelia Jones from CODA on their list for best actress right now. And I know that like the story of that movie is Marley Matlin and to a lesser extent, Troy Kotzer. But if you're predicting that for best picture, I don't know why she wouldn't potentially come along for the ride with that. Cause she is, that is a star is born performance. I also uh, would ask people to look out for Olivia Coleman in The Lost Daughter because I feel that she's at a point right now where it, she's not just in a honeymoon period uh, at this point. She's just in a elongated love affair uh, with the Academy because after The Father, uh, her success on The Crown, it's like she just can't do any wrong. So for that film in particular, going to uh, Venice, probably tell you ride i i would definitely look out for that one and you know have her in the conversation other than that it's like you know what do we got we got kate blanchett from nightmare alley jennifer lawrence don't look up uh josh i want to commend you renate R- reinsev is that how you say it uh, sure I had no clue <laughs> best actress at can for the worst person in the world we'll, we'll get her name down at some point i'm sure and then I do see some people mentioning Nicole Kidman for being the Ricardos. Um, it's still that still seems like a colossal miscasting. To me. Yeah, I, I I don't know how I feel about that one still. Uh, but yeah, uh, interesting category. I share Josh's disappointment that it looks like a lot of these may not be Best Picture nominees. Uh, but I would say that you know the jury is still out on films like Spencer, House of Gucci, West Side Story. Obviously, don't look up. And maybe, unless if you want a category filled with non-Best Picture nominees, uh, maybe we got to start, you know, moving stuff around and looking at those movies to possibly be in the conversation more so for Best Picture. Uh, Best Actor. It seems that there are two camps right now. There is Will Smith for King Richard, and then there is Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog. My gut is telling me that Benedict Cumberbatch is probably going to give the performance of the year in The Power of the Dog. He's probably going to get the most critical acclaim. I think Will Smith is just going to have the feel-good narrative, and it's going to be like one of those situations where we look back on it and we're like, how the hell did this happen? But external factors will have a play here. Yeah, there mm-hmm. definitely seems like there could be a dynamic where there is a early critical favorite, but then the industry weighs in with somebody else. And I think that if you are just looking at this race at this moment without any other context, Will Smith definitely feels like, the person that the industry would just really want to embrace. I don't know how I feel about name checking Leonardo DiCaprio again for Don't Look Up, considering that his last two comedic performances got him Best Actor nominations in The Wolf of Wall Street, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I just don't know if they're going to want to go to that well again. Well, also, those movies were like all about him. And I don't know, like, is he like the the lead in this movie or I thought it was more like of an ensemble piece? Supposedly so, but it is an ensemble, like a major ensemble with a lot of performances that could steal Thunder away from him. So, yeah, see, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, those community performances did get him nominated, but he's like the the focal point 
of those movies or at best in like Hollywood, he's sharing it with Brad Pitt with one other person. There's a lot of names in don't look up. And I do wonder if the sort of competition for a screen time might not be the best thing to get him nominated for this movie. Peter Dinklage for Cyrano is one that I am very hopeful for because he should already be a nominee for station Mm -hmm. agent. Yeah. Yeah. So I would really, really like for this to happen for him at the same time. I don't know diddly squat about the quality of that movie. And considering that it's Joe Wright, it's a 50, 50 shot that it's either Academy friendly or a complete disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew Garfield for Mm. tick, tick, boom is something I think that we also should look out for. Uh, I I think that that's a role that is going to give him a lot of um, moments to be loose, to obviously sing. And, you know, I think he'll be able to showcase a different side of himself that we haven't necessarily seen before. Denzel Washington and Tragedy Macbeth. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah, you just say Mm -hmm. Denzel Washington as Macbeth. Like that. that, (laughs) How can you not? What else do you need? (laughs) Yeah. A contender from earlier in the year, though, that people might have forgotten about, but Sony Pictures Classics, if we know anything about them, they know how to run a campaign. Look out for Clifton Collins Jr. for Jockey. I hope it happens. I have him in my five right now. Part of it is just like, yes, I do think it could happen, but I do admit some of that is a little bit wishful thinking at this point because I just love Clifton Collins Jr. so much. And I haven't seen Jockey yet, but it sounds like a movie that has everything that I would adore in it. And I just am rooting for his success. Simon Rex, Simon Rex, Simon Rex. You know what? I would love for it to happen. I don't have him in my five. I've got him in my ten. I do too. He sounds like somebody that would definitely win like a ton of critics prizes, but I yeah. don't know if it's going to translate into the industry going forward. But I think the he's the Adam try. Sandler and uncut gems of this year. Yeah. He's going to win the indie spirit probably, but I just like, I want him in the conversation so bad. And then what do we make of Joaquin Phoenix working with Mike Mills and come on, come on, supposedly, uh, you know, revisiting the type of register that he communicated so beautifully in her, that, you know, sensitive quality, uh, that sensitive side of him. I, I, I find it hilarious. Uh, Dan and I were talking about this offline that, you know, after the master, he does her. After the Joker, he does something like this. It's like, though, as if he has to, like, remind audiences, guys, I'm not fucking crazy, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, you know, it's good to see him go into these sort of roles. I, I, I like it when he is, you know, not, playing someone who is just tragic and depressed and miserable no yeah yeah mm-hmm. so yeah let's i mean after the joker he might still be a favorite with the oscars so i don't know best supporting actress i've been thinking about this one a lot lately and right now i actually feel very very strangely comfortable with kirsten dunst in the number one slot for the power of the dog hmm like very comfortable to the point that it, it's like I may not move from this prediction all season and I still haven't even seen the damn film yet. <laughs> I don't know if I could say that just because like, I mean, Kirsten Dunst has been consistently working, but she's not really become an actress of that like awards worthy level yet. And I, um, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, there, she has a lot of respect, but I feel like that respect is like kind of isolated in some corners and I, I would need to see how the movie performs overall first before I say, like, she's a shoe in to win. 
I, I do agree with you on that, that I am sort of waiting to see the movie. I don't think she's a shoe in but I do think that she is someone who has garnered a lot of respect over the years. I mean, she just hasn't had the potential to get an Oscar since Melancholia, and we all know that that was not her fault. Um, yeah, she and, really did but, take her chances, I think. But since then, you know, she did amazing critically lauded Emmy nominated work on Fargo and then again on on being a god in Central Florida and I think that her just her critical mass appeal has sort of moved over to the TV realm because that's where she's been deciding to work I think also that with the a lot of the uh, younger members of the academy that have been getting in recently they might have more respect for her than some of the older Academy members based on when they were, you know, coming up and watching movies. She is an icon for a lot of people. And I think if she, especially if she proves herself yet again, that, you know, she is the real deal that she has the goods as she has so many times before, I think there's no reason to think that she wouldn't make this lineup in the end. Who isn't a fan of Bring It On? Come on. Right? I mean, if you are not a fan of Bring It On, I maybe don't want to know you. Because <laughs> you just don't like joy. Uh, the movie that I'm uh, gung-ho for all year, it's the movie that's my special project, uh, is Mass. And Ugh. I am going to bat for both Anne Dowd and Marfa Plimpton. Yes. In this category, because they're both competing and supporting. I'm in the mix, yeah. I think if you see the movie, I understand why it's easy to go for Anne Dowd. I totally understand that. At the same time, I think moving all the performers over to supporting opened up a very, very nice door for Marfa Plimpton and Jason Isaacs, who we'll get to in a minute here. But I, I think that that has helped that movie uh, considerably, because I, I don't know how when you watch that film, you say... Oh, yeah, that's the performance. All the others, eh. It's like everyone is so good in it that I just can't see a world where only one of those performers gets singled out. Oh, you know, totally Matt, agree. But then, you know what that's also a recipe for? Mm. Is nobody getting nominated. I know. <laughs> I know. Don't remind me. Don't if you can't that. pick a standout, if there's no <laughs> consensus on who is the one person people really like, then it just goes all over the place and nobody can amass the support to actually cross the finish line. I mean... Last year, we saw this happen with Leslie Odom Jr. with One Night in Miami, where he was the one that everyone just decided. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with Sasha Baron Cohen in The Travel of Chicago 7. Everyone just decided. But those were large ensembles. I mean, One Night in Miami? Yeah. Okay, fine. Four people. Right. Same as this. But I, I, I get what you're saying. In that regard, though, like I just don't want it to just be like, all right, and out. Ah. Like I'm sorry, we should be we should be considering others. <laughs> I mean, even if it's not Ann Dowd, they might have to make a decision about one because just saying yeah. go for everybody that if you do that, then nobody gets nominated. Like that's just I the mean, way it is. Well, but the thing is, like I think about when I, in Miami, and th those were four people going for the same category. You can get two people from the same movie into the same category. That happens all the time. Yeah, three billboards, the fighter, and yeah. I, that's where I think this is trending at the moment. It is really annoying to me that Mass isn't doing the fall festival circuit 
I think that really would have helped it. I mean, it could still show up and tell you, right? We don't know. Yeah. I mean, that would be great and also weird because I'm pretty sure everyone at Telluride would have seen it at Sunday. I don't know. I don't necessarily know about that. I mean, all of the like it would not get any extra press out of screening at Telluride. I don't think. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, other names to consider here. Uh, we have heard that Frances McDormand for the tragedy of Macbeth will be in this category instead of lead actress. I mean, Lady Macbeth is a supporting role in Macbeth. <laughs> it all depends on the adaptation and how they choose, choose to adapt it. But she is a supporting role. Other names I would look out for here, Dakota Johnson for The Lost Daughter. Uh, she seems like someone who is uh, prime and ready to get her first nomination, uh, especially with the quality of work that she's been delivering these last couple of years. Um, you know, we talked about Kristen Stewart moving on from Twilight. I mean, Dakota Johnson's got the Fifty Shades movies, and I do feel that... She's more than proved, you know, since then that, you know, she's capable of choosing really high quality projects, delivering high quality work. I, I think that she has shaken that perception. Ariana DeBose for West Side Story. Yep. You know, I think that in a way it's kind of helped her to have uh, Schmigadoon come out before West Side Story mm-hmm. to sort of like build up to this big star making moment that it's going to be. And she also had the prom last year. Um, it's an Oscar winning Tony winning role. I think we also need to, I mean, like we need to right? capital N E E D. We need to make room for Meryl Streep. Uh, anytime Meryl Streep does anything, you have to consider her for. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, and let's not forget about Marley Matlin for Coda. I don't have her in my five. I think she's in the 10. It all depends on how the film gets campaigned and pushed by Apple. Um, because now that people have seen the film, I think that a lot of the uh, conversation has actually shifted over to Troy Kotzer for that film as opposed to her. But she has been the spokesperson for that movie. So that could help her in the end. And she's a former Oscar winner. Correct. So never underestimate, and she knows how to campaign. My my personal cause in this category this year is Riley Keough in Zola because it's not going to happen. <laughs> but I, I refuse to let anyone forget how freaking brilliant she is in that movie. Uh, I would also like to go to bat for Ruth Nega from Passing. I oh, thought God. that she was really phenomenal in that film, so and that good. is uh, playing again at a couple of different festivals as well. So Netflix, I think, is going to attempt to give that a push, and uh, I think she's the one that is the clear standout amongst that cast. Supporting actor. Oof. Dan, who do you have winning this right now? I don't remember. Okay, I'll tell you, because I'm looking at it. <laughs> Richard, you have Richard Jenkins for the humans, you fool. Yeah. Well, what? People love him. He's worked with everybody. He's a previous Oscar nominee. That is a killer role. He is my number two right now. I'm sort of going with the pack and picking Bradley Cooper, just because I do think, you know, the, the PTA movie is always something that you need to keep an eye on. If he does get nominated, it'll be, what, his ninth? nomination yeah so like clearly the academy really likes him and they're just sort of waiting for an excuse to actually give him something even though they had one a couple years ago and didn't do it Mm -hmm. um 
so I, that's my placeholder right now. I think that there's some good elements that could come together to make him win for that. But, you know, he has been passed over a lot before, but he could have finally cash in on an overdue narrative, which is never thought I would say that about Bradley Cooper like 10 years ago. Right. But like the thing that the only reason why I don't have him at number one is we don't know what that movie is even going to be yet or if he's going to be the standout. True. Yeah, I have him at number one. I also have in my five uh, Jesse Plemons getting his first nomination for The Power of the Dog. Uh, I also have Jared Leto for House of Gucci. (laughs) Love it or hate it. You have to. I think that that role has Oscar written all over it for all the wrong reasons, probably. But, you know, what are we going to do? How do we feel about Adam Driver for The Last Duel? It it could happen. The Last Duel doing much. I mean, I, I still think it could happen. I don't have him in my 10 right now, but I, The Last Duel is a movie that could really go either way in terms yeah. of how it could be uh, accepted. And I I could maybe see like that nomination coming as like, you've had a good year, a lot of interesting work. Here's like a representation of your body of work this year in this nomination. Uh, speaking of representation for body of work, uh, Timothy Spall for Spencer, um, someone who's still seeking his first nomination. I would love to see that happen. Uh, I mentioned earlier Jason Isaacs for Mass. Yes. God, he's so good in that. I think that he also has a great opportunity on his hands here uh, and Bleeker as well, if they could somehow make this happen for him with his first nomination. Jamie Dornan for Belfast. He's not the lead of the movie. Uh, the, the, the the kid is the lead, apparently, and everybody else is supporting from what I understand. So uh, that's another first time nomination there that I would look out for. And we don't really know yet in terms of, uh, you know, screen time or, uh, you know, just I mean, we understand the role, but Corey Hawkins for the tragedy of Macbeth uh, would be very, very interesting mm-hmm. to see happen. Yeah, I can see that movie doing extremely well with getting acting nominations because, you know. I I find that material would be very enticing to the actors branch in particular. And those parts are just (laughs) the chef's kiss. Perfect. Any actor would want to play them. If the film lands, at least from an acting perspective, there's no reason why they wouldn't get in. I've been told that we need to look out for Mark Rylance and don't look up. Really? Well, out of all the supporting players uh, for this category, I've heard that he's the one to watch out for. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad it's him and not Jonah Hill. But uh... (laughs) I mean, but those are narratives you need to establish early, especially for big ensembles. Like, here's the one you want to look out for, because otherwise, if you just leave people to fend for themselves, that's usually not great. I also would have thought that he would have ran away with the nomination from Trial of the Chicago 7 for the supporting ensemble last year, and that didn't happen. So, yeah, well, we'll see what happens this year. All right. Uh, Obviously, we could, you know, spend some time talking about director adapted and original screenplay, but I feel like we would be, you know, treading over the same ground. So let's move over to our trailer conversation about the hand of God. And let's talk about that for a minute here. This is going to be making its world premiere at the Venice International Film Festival. Going to go to select uh, cinemas in Italy on November 24th, then the rest of the world on December 3rd, where it will finally then make its debut on Netflix on December 15th, 2021. Let's take a look at the trailer. La realtà non mi piace più. La realtà è scadente.
è mai possibile che questa città non ti fanno in mente niente a raccontare? Ed era bellissima. Insomma, schizzi, a dire qualcosa riesce. A dire una cosa raccontata! Sì! A dimmela! So pretty! Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> we, we had heard rumblings that he was someone to look out for this year as our best director international like nominee. Uh, we seem to have one of those every year nowadays. This trailer, I think really solidified that in a major significant way oh yeah i mean like i i'm starting to even wonder is this showing up in cinematography is this showing up in screenplay like Mm -hmm. what else do i need to consider at this point it's very clear that he really 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 wants to be fellini (laughs) but like (laughs) but but at the same time i just can't stop like i want this trailer as my desktop screensaver. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's so, just so pretty to look at. It's so beautiful to look at. It's gorgeous. Um, I also uh, find it hilarious that on three occasions while watching this trailer, I swear to God that I thought the lead was Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> it looks just like him. I'm looking at a still of him right now, and I kid you not, it looks just like him. <laughs> like, well, and then also the Italian yeah. setting. Yeah. to that for sure yeah <laughs> like every look not every curly hair actor who is in italy is timothy chalamet okay <laughs> no you're right they, they just happen to be luca instead <laughs> <laughs> but no what a great year for italy house of gucci luca the hand of god <laughs> well i mean i i would wait to see about house of gucci yeah before we say great year for italy <laughs> All the Italians listening to this are just shaking their heads. They're making that hand gesture right now. Oh dear. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. I'm just saying they, they won the Euros, you know. And I'm looking forward to this movie. I mean, this is a really well done trailer. Definitely sells the kind of vibe and tone that feels like they're going for. Um, You know, I don't know if it's going to be the one that we're going to be like, you know, as you said, the international director that shows up in the lineup i sort of feel like now that we have a straight 10 that movie also now needs to get into best picture i don't think that we're gonna have necessarily a lone director with the straight 10 so i'm curious to see if it's got enough strength to get into that lineup but i definitely think it's one that we should be paying attention to right now that's a really good point there josh because another round last year did do exactly that get in without a best picture nomination but if it was an expanded field it does make sense um i know a lot of people all the time like to debate over whether uh cold war would have gotten a best picture nomination if there were 10 uh nominees in 2018 but i'm inclined to agree with you but i'm not 100 percent sold on that idea i still think that there can be a lone uh director because that that branch can just be so highly specific sometimes with what they decide to go with. It can, but I still think that any movie you are predicting for best director still needs to be pretty close in the conversation for best picture. And I do think that movies like Another Round and Cold War were 
very close to it. I, I think that there was evidence to signal that, especially another round. Well, we'll find out in a couple of days when the film premieres over at Venice. Otherwise, um, I always love me a good emotional coming of age story, especially one that you kind of know heading into it already has a personal connection to the filmmaker. And this just looks to be hitting like a lot of sentimental notes here that will be very emotional. And of course, as we said, beautiful to look at as well. Uh, can I just say you men- mentioned the Euros and I'm still a bit sore about that. So thank Oh, sorry, Bianca. I didn't realize. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. 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 Our condolences. Uh, that was yeah. uh, that was not a dig. I, I, I promise. Yeah. yeah. All right. OK. Gosh. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Moving on. Um, This way we can get off off subject. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is the Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. The polls. Last week's poll for the Nighthouse asked everyone, which is your favorite Rebecca Hall performance? We already know what number one is. And I imagine if I ask you all right now, what's your favorite? You're all going to say the same thing. So say anything other than Christine Dambert. Uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Josh Parm. Vicky Christina Barcelona. Bianca. Um, Awakening. And I'm actually going to go to bat for her performance in The Night House. I think she was fantastic in that. Okay, here we go. Top 10 Rebecca Hall performances as voted on by the MVP film community. We have at number 10, Bianca. Look at that. The Awakening. Woohoo! Yay. Number nine is... Iron Man 3. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Sorry. I'm right. sorry. Number eight is Frost Nixon. I okay. don't even yeah, remember yeah. her in Frost Nixon, but I think that's more of me not remembering anything in that movie. <laughs> She's barely in it. Number seven is The Night House. Okay. She's very good in The Night House. Yeah. yeah, she is. She's great. Number six, The Gift. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah She's yeah. good in that film, too. Yeah. Number five, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Yes. Number four, The Prestige. Mm. Number three, The Town. Number two, Vicky Christina Barcelona. And number one, the runaway favorite, Christine. All right, that sounds about right to me. It does because, like, a lot of these films, it's like, well, which one have more people seen? Right, right, right. I love her, but she has done a lot of work in films that just have not gotten traction with audiences for one reason or another. I mean, including Christine, honestly, you know, like we all recognize what a great performance that is now, but when that movie came out, it, it very much struggled to find an audience, which is understandable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, for this week's poll, we're asking everyone, we're taking a temperature check right before the fall film festivals, uh, kicking the gear. We're asking everyone, which film do you think will be the next best picture Oscar winner? 
We typically like to ask this question a couple times a year here, and we've already answered that question earlier in our conversation, so no need to go over it again. So head on over to the polls page at nextbestpicture.com, cast a vote there. Let us know what do you think is going to be the next best picture Oscar winner. And now we will head on over to questions from the fans for episode 257. Let's see what the MVP film community had to ask us this week. What's up, guys? Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast here. Are you just sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I really love some dude in his garage sitting around talking about arbitrary countdowns and his favorite things in the world of movies, music, and TV. Well, guess what? That's me. Please look me up. My name is Gerald, and I am from Two Peas on a Podcast. If you want to subscribe to my countdown show, I have a different co-host every week. It's often someone from the world of podcasting or entertainment, and we go through our top five favorite things in whatever that week's category is. You can find links to all of our content, subscribe via your favorite podcast app, and follow us on social media. The easiest thing to do is just head to our website, which is www.2peasonapod.com. I hope you look me up and join the party. It's a lot of fun. See you soon. Scott Kernan, with the rise of COVID cases, do you believe the DGA is going to reverse their one-week theatrical exclusive requirement, or is the Guild going to stick to the rule? I don't think they're going to do that again, no. Yeah, I think they're going to stick to the rule. That's how I feel, too. Jacob K., what are your top three must-see movies at the New York Film Festival? Oh, God. Um, Tragedy of Macbeth. Yep, 100%. Because it's not playing anywhere else. (laughs) And wait, to kind of continue with that trend, the other two films for me that are not playing anywhere else but NIF, so I need to see them there, Bell and Benediction. I'm sorry, and uh, Benedetta. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah, Benedetta is definitely my number two. (laughs) Everything else I'll be able to see, uh, hopefully a tip or tell you ride. But those are the three that for New York specifically, I need to make time. And my my third for that is uh, Red Rocket. Oh yeah, I have a I have a feeling Red Rocket's going to tell you ride, so we'll see. But if it doesn't, yes, I would then catch that at NIF. Film of Atreides. Which actor or actress do you think is going to surprise a lot of people with their performance this year? Hmm. Well, d- define. <laughs> surprise. Well, so I think that um, maybe maybe it's on our radar. You know, because we think about these things, you know, pretty heavily, but maybe to general audiences, they they wouldn't necessarily expect uh, someone to give like such a high caliber performance. Okay, so Kristen Stewart and Spencer. I don't know if I believe that, though, because she's given great performances these last couple of years. Great performances in movies that the average moviegoer hasn't seen. They may not see this one, too. Great, yeah. But, man, I, I would definitely say that I would for both Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson, there is still like the stink of Twilight on them yeah. from general audiences. Like I I do sometimes have conversations with people that aren't like super into movies like I am. And you mention those two uh, actors and they still think Twilight. So there, yeah. there is sort of still a barrier with general audiences from taking them seriously as actors. And I think Spencer is an opportunity to maybe get more people clued in on the fact that no she's actually a really really good 
performer and much better than what you might have seen in those movies. Yeah, the average moviegoer does not know that she won a Cesar, much less has even heard of the crowds of Sils Maria. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Also, people, you know, if you want to judge Robert Patterson as an actor, you should totally listen to a small podcast called The Pat Pod that I may or may not run with my sister. Ooh. A little plug in there. Oscar H, which fall film festival premieres are you A, most excited about, B, most curious to see the overall reception for? Probably Belfast, honestly. That's what you're most excited for? Uh, It's the answer to both of them. Nice. I think. Good. I mean, obviously, excitement for me is Dune, but curious to see the overall reception for? It's only playing at Venice and nowhere else, so it does count. (laughs) <laughs> the last duel. Last duel, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think my answer to this one is something that is probably not going to be a big contender. And truthfully, it just feels very specific to me. And I just really want to see it. And that is Benediction. Um, mm. I mean, a movie that yeah. is about a, a gay World War One poet played by Jack Loden. Like, <laughs> give it to me right I now. Mean, yes. <laughs> yes. And directed by Terrence Davies. Exactly. Like, I, I'm i very, very curious to see that one. Uh, Brad Halverson, should I rewatch the original West Side Story before seeing the new <laughs> Spielberg version to see how they compare? Or should I just go in cold to see how it stands on its own? Depends. On? I mean, that that's it. Like, it depends on what you are looking to get out of the movie. If you want to judge how good of a remake or adaptation it is, then you should absolutely watch the original. If you just want to see if this is a good movie on its own, then I would say watch it first and then watch the original. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely I say that um, that is a really interesting perspective to have now, because I would imagine that a lot of people are going to watch the new one having already seen the other movies so this is a potentially unique perspective that you might have that other people won't be able to have lanes 2021 asks uh what are the movies are that you are all looking forward i'm sorry what are the movies that you're all expecting to be a telluride which i'm not going to answer here because we're going to save that for next week but they asked a second question uh what movie do you all think will be nominated for cinematography which is a category that we will not have uh, posted on the website yet. We will have that posted in a couple of weeks. But right now, I have my eyes set on quite a few to the point that I'm like actually worried that it's becoming uh, supremely overcrowded. I mean, look, it's all the black and white films. <laughs> I would actually say, though, that Come On, Come On is one that I am maybe confident not having in that discussion. Sure. Belfast and Tragedy Macbeth, I feel more comfortable with. But something about Come On, Come On, I almost get the sense that it's going to be more like a Francis Ha sort of black and white style, which still yeah. looks great, by the way. But it's no sure. it's no Roma. Yeah, the smaller scale black and white tends to not break through that right. often. Yeah. But I'm also looking at Hand of God right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hand of God, uh, Dune, especially the French Dispatch uh, for its pastel colors and combining black and white. West Side Story. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Last Duel, that's um, Darius Volsky, isn't it? It is. 
Yeah, so he just got his first nomination last year. True. He might have a repeat again this year. You're right. Once they tend to either nominate or give you a win, you do typically then tend to get nominated again. So, yeah, I could see I, I could see between that and House of Gucci, I could see The Last Duel being the one that stands out more. The one that I'm honestly curious about, probably because we don't hardly know anything about it, but looking at, like, it could do some interesting things, is being the Ricardos. Yeah. I mean... I'm just wondering how they're going to balance the sort of patented Sorkin walk and talk with any sort of 50s television stylistic things that they do. Sure. We yeah, haven't no, heard that anything sense. about this movie, so it's all complete speculation. But I'm interested to see if they do anything different with the cinematography. Do we know who shot that? Jeff Cronenweth. Okay. Well, all right. Yeah, that's something (laughs) to keep in mind then, because with so many below the line categories, like half of that is have they been nominated before? Are they popular with the branch? And Jeff, Jeff definitely is. Yep. Uh, I would also look out for Nightmare Alley for obvious reasons. Mm hmm. Uh, Yeah. Like I said, once you start like going down the list, there's quite a lot that could show up here. It's really, really tough to say, like, uh, you know, which ones are going to be the big breakthrough ones and which ones aren't going to land at all necessarily but cinematography is always a fun category to discuss i know i am biased but i am keeping an eye out for no time to die you know mm-hmm. oh man that looks gorgeous absolutely, yeah 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 linus sangren also previous winner uh, totally mm-hmm. i would definitely look out for that I, I i i actually think no time to die could be maybe the biggest oscar um like player for the James Bond franchise, even bigger than Skyfall, like in terms of nominations it could get. And you have to like, of the films that have been released already, like (laughs) I am dying to see if the Green Knight can stay in the conversation for the year because God damn, that movie is gorgeous. God, I wish. Oh, I wish. Oh, why did you have to put that in my head? (laughs) Sorry. And the other thing is, you know, I mean, we're going to talk about this later but Annette has its fans Mm. and the cinematography in that movie is pretty amazing (laughs) all right well that'll do it here for our conversation on episode 257 next week god so much to talk about so much to discuss i am so so excited we're going to be introducing a new member of the team on next week's show can't wait to do that We're going to be doing our final preview of the fall film festivals. We're going to be reminiscing, no pun intended, on the last five years of Next Best Picture. We're going to actually be encouraging uh, all the listeners out there to send in some of your favorite moments from the show. Uh, And then I'll read them uh, out loud and I'll see if anybody remembers these moments and we can all just have a nice laugh about it and walk down memory lane. It's going to be a really, really fun time. Oh, we got some good rants. There are some legendary ones, that is for sure. Uh, But we're really, really excited for next week. Until then, Bianca Gardner, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, you can head over to Twitter where you can find me at the Film B and also check out In Their Own League as well. Dan Bear? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. Josh Parham? You can find me on Twitter at JR Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 257 of the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Anything less than five stars, 
completely unacceptable. So feel free to rate us on there, drop us a comment, let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get exclusive podcast content from us, including the conclusion of our 2013 retrospective, which is ending this week with our review of the Best Picture winner from that year, 12 Years a Slave. And then we will be announcing the winners for the internal voted MVP Film Awards for 2013 on next week's show as well. So thank you, everyone, who has listened along with us on our 2013 retrospective. It was definitely a great bit of fun. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.